Welcome back to the Syracuse Football Podcast. I'm Stephen Bailey, joined as always by Julian Wiggum. We are here for a special early signing period edition. Busy last 24 hours for Syracuse. We saw Cade Foran, Syracuse's top quarterback target, pick South Florida, surprising everybody. This morning, Syracuse fans woke up to a surprise. Two German players signed with the Orange overnight. Maximilian Mang, a tight end, and Mark Petrie, an offensive tackle. The Orange missed out on Kentron Portier, a wide receiver. Chris Bleich, a, a guard from the University of Florida, is going to transfer to SU. That came out tonight. There was a snow squall in Syracuse that we had to drive through to get to Dino Baber's press conference. It was a hectic day, even for a signing day. We are going to get into all of that. Before we do, I need you to go subscribe to us, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you listen to your podcasts on. If you'd like to purchase advertising, please contact Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069. All right, Julian, let's dive in. Before we get into kind of the nitty-gritty and all those individual players, and, and also I think we should probably touch on Syracuse's coaching staff situation as well, I want to go big picture. And we talked a little bit about yeah. this before the show Syracuse has had one top 50 recruiting class since the 247 composite started in 2003. They were 45th in 2007. This year, it looks like they'll be just outside the top 50 again, currently 55th, 10th in the ACC, and their average recruit rating, I believe, is might, it might be the last in the ACC. So I guess my question is this, and this is something that Syracuse fans seem to ask every time this year, is this just the way it's always going to be, or can anything be done to really make a jump and get a top 35, 30, maybe even top 25 recruiting class? Yeah, I mean, the way I've seen it, and looking back on Syracuse's history, uh, the way that they've been ranked in the 50s, uh, maybe in the 60s for every so often, um, and never really cracking that top 40, it seems like this is the way it's going to be. Uh, and the only way that'll change is until Syracuse can create a more magnetic off- offer for recruits. And what I mean by that is you've got to build up your work spot. You've got to build up your workplace. Uh, you've got to be able to find a way to bring in uh, top-notch facilities. That's what kids are looking for. You've got to find a way to appeal to these recruits because otherwise – they're always all the top talent is always going to go to the USC's, the Alabamas, and the Clemsons of the world, um, and they get those recruits because one, they already had that winning tradition. Uh, recruits want to go where people win, and then they build things that make the quality of life for their student athletes that much better than anywhere else. And until Syracuse can find a way to do that, and really every mid-tier school that's recruiting uh, in the rankings of 40 plus and higher. Uh, until they can find a way to get an influx of cash and a streak of success in terms of winning, uh, things are going to remain the same. I mean, that's that's just the nature of college football. And for Syracuse, uh, they've got two of the other three components that I think makes them successful in terms of uh, coaching, which I consider uh, "quote unquote" management, and then the, the and then developing their talent. Uh, I think that the strategy has been good. I think in terms of beating teams that they're not supposed to, the Clemson upset, the Virginia Tech upset, uh, the way they played Clemson back in 2017, I believe it was, the close but not quite. Uh, The strategy is there. The development is there. You've got a bunch of NFL prospects on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, It's just a matter of finding and 
locating top tier talent, but the only way you can get that is you've got to find a way to make your offer uh, that much better than your competition in the ACC. And if you're in a place like Syracuse where it snows 80% of the year and it's cold and, and you're kind of isolated from everything, you've got to find a way internally as a coach and as the front office people to make your offer that much better. And part of it's winning and a part of it is investing in your athletic programs to bring in recruits and say, hey, this is what we have that others don't, um, and this is how we can get you to that next level. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think part of what makes this recruiting cycle kind of disappointing is Syracuse won 10 games two years ago, and they really weren't able to capitalize much on the recruiting trail. I'll, I'll give them credit for finishing last cycle strong, going and getting Michael Jones and Lee Koba, bringing Cornelius Nunn back from Miami. I think the staff was really hoping this 2020 class would be filled with those high three-star players that, that, if you get enough of them, frankly, are good enough to have a top 50 class, a top 45 class. The People don't realize the range of three-star players. Like There are not a lot of four- and five-star players. There can be a big difference between a high three-star guy and a low three-star guy. So I think they wanted a lot of those caliber guys this year, and, and, and really what they got is a similar class to the ones they've had in the past. Um, you know, if the, the players who they've assessed and like better than other schools, if they pan out, great. Uh, they didn't really win a lot of battles against peer schools, and that they actually lost quite a few of them. Um, so not being able to build on that 10-win season, I, I think maybe you know, maybe if winning, even without an, a big influx of money is enough, we might have been able to see that, uh, but it didn't happen. I will say they got a 20, the school got a $25 million donation from John and Laura Lally in September to the athletic department. We will see how that is used, but you're going to need a lot of those. Clemson gets those all the time, and I understand that's at the very top, but uh, I, I agree with you. You really need probably both multiple winning seasons and an influx of cash to make that jump. And I still can't say I've seen anything covering the program for the last six years that, that makes me think that is imminent, uh, which is what makes it so hard to win at Syracuse if you're Dino Babers. Um, one, I will say, un, for, under the Babers' tenure, the one guy who has consistently gone out and gotten highly ranked players is Nick Monroe. He's recruited South Florida well. He got Damian Alford, made a hard push for Kentron Poitier. He has recruited New York City well. Troy Williams, Kadir White was a four-star recruit. Uh, he has not panned out yet. Um, but it seems like w- when they get a good guy, it's Nick Monroe. And even when in, they're in a, a contested contested recruitment, Nick Monroe sometimes seems to be brought in <laughs> to help sell the program. You, Julian, I know you kind of crossed paths a little bit with him in your recruitment. What about... Nick and, and what he does, do you think makes him a good recruiter? Um, I think he's just a, a, a person guy. He's a great salesman, and part of what goes into being a solid salesman is one, your how how well do you relate with who you're dealing with, right? And I think Coach Monroe is really good at relating with the recruits he wants because he has this special idea about everyone he interacts with, right? So, big key when I was at Dwyer, he was recruiting a guy, a kid named Daryl Hunter, who was a corner, at, uh, he was you know, lined up across from me at Dwyer, and what Daryl loved about him was 
he had a plan for him. Like he would all Daryl would always be excited coming back to Coach D's office saying, uh, "Yeah, I got to work on this. I got to work on that." Because you know what Coach Monroe was telling me is, I either, I'll either have a chance to play right away, or I'll be getting in, and he'd be giving him tidbits on, "Hey, this is what you can think about. This is what you can work on." And there was a, a real investment into the recruit and there was a real plan for him and I think Coach Monroe's appeal is he can describe the plan he has for you as a recruit you know while he's sitting in your living room and I think recruits really value that because when you're a 17 18 year old kid uh, one you're, you're trying to look as far ahead into your future as you can and while that's obviously difficult being a teenager worried about everything else under the sun uh, when someone comes down and sits with you and has an actual plan for how they expect you to be utilized inside of their program, that really resonates uh, with the recruit. And that was big for me with Coach Anselmo. Uh, he was someone who told me right away, hey, we like your skill set because you're long, you can go after the ball, and we think we can mix you in at different positions between safety and corner. Sure enough, I get to Syracuse, start off as corner, I did a little bit of safety, but what made me successful was my length and ability to change positions and kind of understand the defense. So when coaches see that in you and you, and they uh, see some of the things that you want to use and give to a program and they find a, a way to use it inside of, of their football team, I think that's really valuable and a, a really valuable asset for a recruiter because if he has a plan for you, uh, recruits and you know those 17, 18 year old kids can they get behind that and they buy into it much easier than someone who sends them an offer and never speaks to them again. Yeah, especially when I think a guy like Nick Monroe has the opportunity to sell playing time. You know, then he's really able to bring in the guys who who can be impact players. Uh, I, he was key in bringing in Latari Kinsler, Syracuse's highest rated signee of this class, uh, defensive end, someone who is going to be here in the spring and who hopes to contribute from day one. And obviously with Alton Robinson and Kendall Coleman leaving, it's a reasonable pitch. Um, so, uh, you know, we've, we've, it's interesting because we've talked about Syracuse making staff changes, and I really – and the staff changes that they're, they're going to make, and we still don't have any information there. I, I suspect we may get it soon now that players have been signed, but I think you need more recruiters, and especially at Syracuse with, with these problems we've outlined in the situation where there is no short-term fix, having as many quality recruiters on staff as possible – will go a long way. Um, let's kind of get into some of the more nitty-gritty stuff that happened. Uh, I think the biggest win in the last 24 hours, you know, a non-previously committed guy, is getting Chris Bleich. Some background on Chris. Uh, he was a redshirt freshman at Florida, played in eight games this year starting. He entered the transfer portal uh, after he was replaced in a game. He is going to be here in January. He is also sending a waiver to the NCAA seeking immediate playing time. It's going to be on multiple grounds, he said, one of which is family hardship. He has declined to outline the details. And in his announcement, he also basically said that he was forced to play through injury at Florida. So it sounds like that's going to be the other part of it. You never know with the NCAA, but if he is cleared to play next year, it seems like he would replace Evan Adams in the starting lineup, and you could, in theory, bring the four guys you had back at the positions they finished in. We saw an offensive line look better in the final three games, playing in what the guys consider their natural positions, and there are other things that factored into that as well. But, yeah, I guess I'm kind of curious, Julian, how important do you think the addition of Bleich is to get some experience there? And... 
I, I guess that gives you five guys. For this offensive line, I don't think that's enough. I mean, I, you kind of have to go out and get more, right? No, absolutely. I think Blythe's a, a good sign and, and probably one of the most valuable because he plugs in a hole right away. Uh, in terms of what he can do as a starter and, and come in and play guard for you where, wherever he needs to on the interior line. Uh, yeah, I think the bigger issue for Syracuse right now, which and it's, it's all I think it may always be, is depth. Having the depth on the offensive line to in case someone goes down. Because when you've got five guys, great. But say an injury comes along like it did last year, uh, you have the injuries up front. Uh, you have a guy in there who's not ready to play, and you start eventually start playing several guys who aren't ready to play. That's that's what happens. We saw that all year last year when you don't have the depth and you haven't properly prepared guys uh, who need to step in and play, and you're shuffling around. So I think there's a lot of value in Blake coming in right away um, and allowing guys to play their quote unquote natural positions. And with the year under their belt, I think development should, you know, start to expedite itself a bit uh, come spring and summer because they've had game experience. They know what to do, or at least they've seen it. They've got a bunch of tape to study. So I expect an improved uh, offensive line and having a fifth guy who can come in there and, and help out the other four is great. Uh, but for the long term, and, and with Syracuse, and this is something we can kind of dive off to as well, uh, is depth is always going to be a concern, especially up front, you know, because if, if one, two guys drop, you can be in a lot of trouble. We've seen that already. Uh, but I'm encouraged because of the amount of size that I have seen on the offensive line. And if they can continue to add depth up front, even on the defensive side of the ball up front, but specifically for the offense up front, if they can continue to add guys with size, you know, just raw material to work with and develop them, you know, into coachable players, coachable players um, I think that's going to be really big for Syracuse down, down the hall and throughout the season because we've seen what happens when guys get banged up, miss games, and you start shuffling around that offensive line trying to see what fits. Yeah, I will say this. I, I think it's a bit of a luxury to have him coming in in January, too, because you can plug him in and you can see what you've got. You can say, hey, are, are these five guys the ones we're comfortable rolling with, or is this not going to work out? Do we need someone else who can play center? Do we need someone else who can play tackle? Uh, are there health concerns? You know, Is the chemistry right? All those things, because a lot of the graduate transfers, you can't go get them until May. So... I think he is one player who, who will have a lot of eyes on him in spring. I will say the player who I thought I would be watching in spring most intently did not choose Syracuse. Cade Fortin, the quarter, former North Carolina quarterback, shocked everybody on Tuesday night uh, following Jeff Scott to South Florida. And, uh, you know, I really thought Syracuse wasn't a good spot. I, I think people inside the program did too. Vanderbilt and Kansas were the other two teams that were in Fortin's final three. You know, and, and he was a guy who, frankly, I thought could come in and, and get the backup job right away and maybe use his mobility to contribute uh, this fall. But you go to South Florida, maybe you can be a starter. So I, I asked Dino right. Babers kind of about – the quarterback situation and, and kind of his depth, his depth concerns going into next year, and he talked a little bit about basically how 
the transfer rule has allowed quarterbacks to move around. And you look at the quarterbacks who were most successful winning national awards or up for national awards this year, a lot of them transferred. So it's it's clearly something that's frustrating Syracuse. I know they're selective with how many guys they offer. But when you miss on your top targets like Tyler Van Dyke to Miami, Christian Valu obviously reclassified, a bit of an unlucky break there. And then Fortin, you leave yourself in this position where there are not a lot of guys left on the board. Uh I guess I guess I'll ask you this, Julian. You know, it seems like quarterbacks obviously want an opportunity for playing time. Only one can play. It, is this? Does it feel like this is harder than it should be, considering the offense Dino Babers has to sell? Um, it is. I, th- I think so. Uh, with the offense that Babers has, you would think quarterbacks would be interested in coming. But I think a big issue here is everyone knows Devito's the guy. You know, you know he's got what two, three years ahead of him. You, you two know left, with yep. his job, uh, how much um, you know, Coach Babers enjoys him and likes him and cares for him as as his quarterback. So knowing that, uh, it's just the current climate that we're in college football. Guys are gonna go where they can play, which is a smart decision. I mean, I wouldn't come to Syracuse either if I was a quarterback, knowing Tavito's there. I'm not trying to sit and waste time. You know, sitting there developing, 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 and then all of a sudden you bring in another freshman and he takes the, he takes the jab that you like more. You know, so um, I think it's difficult, and it's going to be difficult for a lot of programs uh, going forward to find a guy because selling the idea of being a backup isn't going to work. <laughs> Guys want to see, again, like we talked about, a, a clear strategy and where I can fit in. And right now for Syracuse, there's no fit at quarterback. DeVito's your guy. And everyone knows that, so it, it's going to be. It was going to be difficult this this class to, to find a recruit, whether that was going to be um, a high school kid or a transfer or even a JUCO guy, because they all know that they'd be sitting for two, three years behind Devito, and no one. I don't think a lot of guys, especially in this climate, are trying to do that. And then especially if you're a quarterback who just left uh, one place, trying to look for an opportunity. Uh, so for Syracuse and a lot of schools in that position. It's going to be hard trying to sell the idea of finding, quote-unquote, a backup QB because no one's trying to buy that. Uh, But for Syracuse in the long haul, I don't think finding quarterbacks will always be difficult just because of the system that they run. And when there's a clear opportunity to become a starter, uh, I think that they'll be able to sell their offense and their offensive style of play to a lot of quarterbacks across the country. And as long as there's success at the position, Dungey started off well. As long as DeVito has success, I think they'll continue to be able to find quarterbacks as long as the opportunity is there for them to play. Yeah, obviously every year that goes by, there's there's one less year of overlap with DeVito. So, you know, maybe it is it is easier next year. It's certainly, these last three years have, have been rough, and I know it's something that has frustrated Dino Babers. You know, he's said that, he, you know, maybe his staff needs to work a little bit more quietly because other teams see who they're targeting and go after. You know, I think that's a little bit of a cop-out, and that happens everywhere. But when you only really give a handful of committable offers out a cycle, your margin for error is thin. Uh, and I think what hurts now is you go and look at all the quarterbacks Syracuse has been tied to, even the guys who they, who they didn't offer, almost all of them signed somewhere else. So if you, if you open up their, their offer list on 247sports.com, they all have offered 13 quarterbacks this cycle, 11 are committed, and one is a, a four-star dual-threat quarterback in Malik Hornsby. So the only guy on the list who you've offered and is probably a reasonable guy to, to pursue is, is Makai Hagens from St. Louis. And I wouldn't be surprised if Syracuse ramped up their interest in him, but they're going to have to look at the JUCO ranks, maybe 
you know, it's really hard to pull in a grad transfer for a backup job. I don't think that's that's really possible. So you're in a tough position because you've kind of aimed high, and they've done that, you know, the last couple of years as well. They're very selective with who they take at quarterback. Um, so to me, that you know, that was the real low point, uh, you know, of the day. <laughs> I, I guess if that's kind of the good, the bad, and then the weird is, you know, these two German guys. I mean, we can touch on them for a little bit. Uh, I didn't realize either one was really in play until yesterday when I saw Maximilian Mang, the tight end, tweet that he got an offer, and I kind of got in touch with him, and and he hinted that he would be signing with Syracuse, but he's. He has got a really interesting story. <laughs> so he has not played any organized football in America. He took five trips to the U.S. in the last six months, basically to camp. Um, he didn't even start playing football until a few years ago. But he's 6'7", 250-plus, uh, tight end. You know, he may ultimately grow into a tackle, but he wants to try and prove himself as a tight end. Um Interesting guy. His background in athletics is kind of deep. Um, He started playing soccer when he was a kid. He said he played competitive table tennis for three years from ages 7 to 10. So I'm sure he's going to light up the team room, and I really hope videos get out of him playing some ping pong against the Americans. Maybe (laughs) two-on-two ping pong. That would be actually be pretty cool. Uh, And then he played volleyball for six or seven years, and he was actually on the extended youth national team. Uh, And he played in the national quarterfinals. His club team did uh, the under-14 years. So super athletic guy, and to to me – just kind of someone who I think Syracuse is putting a couple chips on and hoping he pans out. Um, he's got the size, and I, I guess kind of a similar case for Mark Petrie. He's an offensive tackle. He did a year at Juco, so he's uh, four to play three. He's going to come in as a sophomore. Both those guys, January enrollees. <laughs> as someone who, who lived the college life in, in Syracuse, you know what <laughs> what do you think it's going to be like for, for these two guys coming in? And, uh, yeah, I mean, what, I guess what's kind of your initial reaction on a couple of I, – I, I don't know if Syracuse has brought in German guys before. Dino Babers didn't, didn't seem to think so. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Uh, what was kind of your reaction when you saw that? Yeah, so I was I liked the move and with, with both signings between you know Max Mang, Mark Petri. I like the signings because again for Syracuse, I really like the idea of them going for size uh, at six seven two thirty. I think if if the evil recruiter in me is going to tell him, yeah, we think you can play some tight end and then feed Max until he's a tackle, that would be <laughs> the evil recruiter in me because he has so much size. And having that been a tight end, like there's obviously going to be a, some ability to move, some athleticism, throw him a tackle, all of a sudden he's that much more valuable for you. So if it were me, I'd be selling him on the idea of tight end, feed him up, get him fat, and throw him a tackle. Uh, for Mac, Mark Petrie as well, great size, 6'5". These are guys that you could develop, and I don't mind Syracuse taking these risks because you're in a position where you have to. You have to take risks on guys that – may have flown under the radar but may have a trait here or there that you think you can work with because that's what helps your program. I, I don't know how many how many offers did Eric Dungey have coming in? Two or three. I'm sure they're from small schools. All of a sudden Syracuse takes a flyer on and he ends up being one of the most impactful players in Syracuse football history. Uh, you've got to take chances on guys and, and see what they can become because you're not getting those four and five star recruits 
at a whim like the Alabamas and Clemsons of the world. So I like the move and trying to get these guys in uh, because maybe they have traits here there that coaches feel like they can work with. Uh, but if you're in you're Syracuse or you know these you know, smaller schools that are, in, that are in that mid-range in terms of recruiting, I think it's smart to take flyers on guys when you can uh, just because of the upside. And if you're Syracuse, you're not really losing anything anyway. Uh, being in the recruiting spot that you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Eric's a good example. We, we won't sell him too short. You got Nevada, Navy, UNLV, some Ivies. So definitely, definitely point taken. But if you if you listen, Eric, you know more more than two, more <laughs> than two. All right, let's uh, go over to some fan questions. Daryl Albert, Stephen, as I said to you this morning, the QB situation has to be addressed. I believe Coach Martin is part of the issue, and Daryl basically asked why Syracuse has struggled to recruit quarterbacks. We, we obviously touched on the issue with Tommy and players wanting to start and, and having the availability to transfer. Uh, as far as Coach Martin being part of the issue in getting quarterbacks, I'm not so sure. As far as developing quarterbacks, absolutely. And, and maybe there's a little bit of carry over there. Uh, but by and large, I, I think it's hard especially to develop a quarterback in college with all they have to do in game planning and learning the offense. Um, but uh, I look, I mentioned staff members needing to be able to recruit. That's a guy who hasn't necessarily brought in very many prospects. Uh, you know, I understand he's, he's Dino's brother-in-law, and, and obviously I'm sure it helped them get Coda, but I think having a quarterback's coach who is going to be make more of an impact on the recruiting trail is good, and also someone who's played the position and can really give some better insight to the quarterbacks, including Tommy DeVito, uh, would be good to have. So I, I would not be surprised to see a change there, but you know, Dino Babers did not want to talk about changes to his coaching staff today. Uh, coincidentally, the last day we talked to him for about two months. Uh, James Austin. Good friend, what's your thoughts on Dino being quiet about a recruit and his secrecy about how many scholarships are still available? Uh, so that was Bleich. Um, I think it was they were just waiting for him to an- basically him to announce his commitment. And he said he signed I, what I believe is financial aid paperwork. The school hasn't recognized that yet. I don't know if he's got to go through admission still or like it's winter break already. So I think it's just. For some, no, it's not quite official yet internally, so I, I don't know exactly what hoops they were jumping through, but that's all that was about. Uh, secrecy, secrecy about how many scholarships. I think he was kind of just goofing around a little bit. Like He also doesn't know because he hasn't figured out how many people are leaving. So I don't have all the math in front of me scholarship-wise. I'm probably going to take a look at that tomorrow morning, and I'll probably have a post out late morning kind of on what's next for the class of 2020, and that should include a rough scholarship guess. Um, yeah, as you say, there could be a few more opening up because of players leaving. Uh, he did say Rex. he expects Rex Culpepper to be back. He hasn't heard otherwise from him. Um, and he did, he, did, he did say this. He said, although this is a year of people not telling me things, not so such subtle jab at Ryan Alexander. Dino couldn't really resist from getting that in. Uh, James Brown, thanks for doing this. Thank you, James. I noticed that Cade Fortin is clearly very religious from his Twitter posts. His new head coach, Jeff Scott, has been very clear regarding his evangelical faith. I wanted to know Julian's perspective on how much of a role religion plays in recruiting. That's a good question. Dang. Um, you know what? Uh, it's it's going to be on an individual basis, and I think it's right up there with whatever else a recruit might value. Um, some recruits might be really big on uh, in education. I saw 
what was it, Emmett Smith's kid decided to go to Stanford instead of Florida and like and be like his dad. And a big thing for him was the educational opportunities and the career opportunities beyond football. Uh, so I think it's the same thing when it comes to religion is, one, how comfortable will I be with it there, it, wherever I go, here being Syracuse, um, is what kind of environment is there, and uh, do I feel comfortable with my coaches, and will I have opportunities to practice my faith? And, you know, just it, how does this fit, and are my interests aligned with, my coaches in this program. If I feel comfortable uh, with my interests at this place, that's going to you know, contribute to uh, how much I end up going there or don't go there. And I think in this instance, uh, with the case being religion, I think obviously he found a place where it, he felt comfortable with the coaches, his family was comfortable with it, and I get, maybe he found a nice church at Syracuse. I don't know. But it, it all comes down to what is your number one motivating factor uh, to go somewhere, and if religion was the big key for him, I don't think a recruiter would, you know, kind of sell that. You know, they obviously try to make you comfortable, but in terms of uh, religion or anything else, I think it's it's a matter of how important is it to the recruit, and do they feel like it will uh, be they will be comfortable at that place? And I guess here in terms of Syracuse, it worked out. Yeah. Yeah, interesting question. I agree with you probably uh, on a very individual basis. Uh, Robert Masurs, mm-hmm. what are the chances of seeing Ed Hendricks and or Kadir White on the field next year? If Ed Hendricks is healthy, I, I really think he's going to play. Uh, unfortunately, that's a big if. You know, he's had multiple injuries to the same leg. Uh, really rough. You know, it's hard not to feel bad for him. Uh, I believe he was the top rated guy coming out of D.C., his cycle, maybe top five or so, uh, straight burner, guy who can get over the top. And, yeah, he just he just has not been able to stay healthy. Uh, Dino Babers said, you know, they had a couple things done with him. I don't know if that was surgery again or, or not, um, but we'll see if he is able to get on the field in the spring. Um, I know he's someone who has worked hard behind the scenes and uh, hard not to, to pull for a guy like that to at least get a chance because he really hasn't gotten to play since he got here. You know, Kadir White, we've talked about a lot on the show. We will see. You know, I, I think a lot of people have kind of written him off. Um, for me, uh, the jury is still out a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I'm giving him the two-year window that his high school coach basically said he needs. And But, you know, frankly, if he doesn't show something by the end of this fall, it's going to be hard to imagine the development coming. Um, I I would be still be surprised based on what I know now if we saw Kadir this fall, but for a guy that size, you know, if it clicks, uh, you know, he can obviously do some things physically that other people can't. Uh, let's skip down. That one was about Bleich before he signed. Doc Renald, out of this group, who has the biggest upside? That is a very difficult question to answer. Um, I would say one guy who I really like is Stephen Mahar, the tight end from Rochester. Super, super athletic guy. Uh, you know, Dino basically said, we don't take players from New York unless they really deserve it. The, you know, and they're, they're pretty strict about that. And look, they got more guys from Germany <laughs> than New York in this class. So, yeah. you know, I, I don't know exactly what that says, but it definitely tells you they're, they're not taking players from New York just to take them. Um, yeah, I, I think... Mahar is going to come in and, and probably have the opportunity to learn behind Aaron Hackett and Chris Elmore and Luke Benson, frankly, probably redshirt. And then Hackett and Elmore are gone. 
So he can step in that second year and, and have a very significant role, probably alongside Luke Benson, uh, who I know they want to get bigger, but it's still probably going to be a, a catch-first kind of tight end where Mahar is probably a little more versatile. He can certainly do things in the passing game, but he can be a powerful blocker as well. So, um, you know, I, that's the guy who I kind of have highlighted. I think if you look at... The other guys that stand out are the ones that are the most highly rated, so I don't want to just read off the top of the class. But, yeah, Latari Kinsler is a high upside because he could start in his first year. Um, you know, Damian Alford's their, their second-highest-rated rate, highest rated commit, 2021 guy who reclassified to 2020. He's got size 6'5", 210, so we'll see. Um, you know, but St- Steve Mahar would be my pick. Uh, is there anyone that kind of jumps out to you, Julian, anyone who you're kind of high on? Uh, no, I'm going straight off the top of the list, and I'm going with Latari Kinsler, not because of the obvious things like he has great speed or acceleration. You can find that in a lot of different recruits uh, across the country. Uh, but one thing that I actually really liked about his tape was uh, his natural instinct, you know, off and for the ball. Uh, it's kind of like being a receiver where – Obviously, you want to get receivers with size who can, you know, go up for the ball or uh, who can stretch out, catch with their hands or have great routes, yada, yada. You know, all those, you know, normal traits that you look for. But I think there are some things that make guys special and a little bit better than others that you just can't quite coach or teach. And one thing that sticks out about receivers was to me was uh, Steve Ishmael. We know where he would go up for the ball. And he had just this natural instinct for the football in terms of going up to get it, uh, having a great catch radius, and then just doing whatever it took to uncover himself and make a play. Obviously, not many receivers have that ability. Otherwise, you see it all the time. I think this is the case here uh, as well as a defensive end uh, here in in, in Kinsler. Uh, He has this ability where... He gets off the ball. He has great speed. Um, he has, you know, the, the, you know, all the techniques, you know, the rev, the hands, all that stuff. But that natural instinct to go get the ball, to feel a block and know where to go and how to get there, um, I think that's something that not very many defensive ends have as well. And I think that's something that both uh, for both at, at, at Syracuse between, uh, you know, Kendall Coleman and Allen Robinson, I think they both had that ability or just a natural instinct to how to get to the football and make that pass as fast as possible. And that's why they're NFL projects. And I think that's going to be a big thing here as well for Kendall. So I like him not because of all the plus traits that everyone talks about, like acceleration and speed and all of that, but because he has that natural instinct that can make him a player one on day one and throughout his college career, I think that's going to make him special, and I'm excited to see him play. Yeah, I'm excited to get a look at him this spring as well. I think someone who they're going to want to put a little bit of weight on, and again, you get him here in the spring, he works out with Coach Edinger in the summer, exactly. and you know, hopefully for Syracuse, by the time week one rolls around, he's physically ready to go. Jake, I'd like to know more about the German tight end, Max Mang. Looks like a beast, 6'7", 250. Yeah, I, I think he's someone who is going to need a little bit of time. And, and again, get him here early, learn the offense, and, and let him get strong and get comfortable with the movements they're asking of him. He has not played organized ball in the U.S. So this is, I, I think you're going to have to exercise some patience here. Uh, also, the other tight end of Rochester, Steve Mahar, who, who we just talked about, any chance he plays wide receiver, he's got that Megatron frame. Uh, y- you know, I, I think Dino Babers and Mike Lynch have shown a willingness to split out their tight ends. As far as purely playing outside receiver, 
I would be surprised because I, you know, I kind of thought they would do that with Luke Benson at a certain point. Like with all the issues they kind of had in the passing game, I thought he would have been interesting to split out. And uh, I know they fiddled with him at outside receiver during preseason camp briefly, never played him there. So uh, I'm not saying definitely not, but just because they didn't with Luke, I, I would be a little surprised. Uh, I think they really want Mahar to come in and learn the offense and be ready to hit the ground running in year two when, again, Aaron Hackett and Chris Elmore won't be there. Scrolling down, B-Dog, why do we only get three-star recruits? We basically yeah. talked about this, um, uh, you know, kind of on top of that. You know, I know, Julian, you kind of want to talk about this a little bit. When you can, like, if Syracuse can get that momentum going, you know, how, how, I guess, how do you see it happening? And what do you think that would do if they can kind of break that trend of three star, three star, three star, three star? And, and again, not all three stars are, are cut the same. I want to make that clear. But how, how do you kind of get off that? And, and maybe how would that play out on the field? So I think one, uh, there's options here in terms of how you do it. Uh, one being, obviously, if you build it, they would come, and which would take a large investment from from front offices, um, donors and such to create facilities. And, you know, we talked about this, creating a situation where it makes the life of the student-athlete easier and you're creating an overall place where guys are naturally going to come. I don't think that's going to be Syracuse. It's a private school. Um, I don't think they have you know, half of what Clemson or Alabama or any of these schools are ever going to have. I just don't think it's ever going to work that way. Uh, but then comes the winning aspect of it. Players want to play for uh, top programs. I can remember back, uh, Jacob Brissett was my quarterback back at Dwyer, right? Starting quarterback for the Colts. And I can remember when I got my offer from, I got an offer from Syracuse and Indiana on the same day. And uh, Jacoby was like, Hey, man, heard you out first, too. And I'm like, yeah, I think it's going to end up being Syracuse. And he was like, why would you go there? <laughs> <laughs> I was upset because I was like, man, that's my place. Don't, don't play my school. But he was like, they don't win. And if they don't win, obviously that means they don't have good people and that'll hurt your development. And I was like, ah, well, I'll figure it out when I get there. I'll be the development, right? Big-headed 18-year-old kid. But uh, guys, and he ended up being, you know, a five-star guy where everybody wanted but a lot of those top guys care about going to a winning program and having other talented guys there because they'll develop. So for Syracuse, I think a big key for them in terms of kind of bolstering their idea of getting four- and five-star recruits to hit is, one, when you sell, you got to sell NFL potential. And I think we're already starting to see that a little bit in this year's recruiting class with the defensive end position. Between Alton Robinson and Kendall Coleman, both those guys are going to get NFL opportunities. Uh, I think it's Alton Robinson who may end up being a, a really high draft choice. But I'm sure that came to play when it was Latara Kinsler's turn. You're telling a guy, hey, we've got an opportunity for you to play right away. That's always going to be a Syracuse selling point whenever you're a, a, a mid-tier school ranking in, in between 40 and you know 75. Always got to try to sell there's an opportunity to play right away. Then, boom, there's NFL opportunities here. We know how to coach you up to get there. We, you have the intangibles. We'll do everything else to get you there. You'll be on the field. You'll have the tape. You'll have the experience. We'll get you there. That's, got a, that's the selling point. And then, boom, now you've got this three-, four-star kid who's coming into Syracuse. And I think that's a, a big thing for them. And we've seen it with the quarterback position as well. Dungeon's playing well. You, then you, they sold their offense, though. They sold the offense and what it could be, what you can do in it, how you'll fit. And then we have Landon DeVito. So um, I think for Syracuse, when it comes to 
getting past the three-star recruits. I don't think they'll ever be able to quite build it because there's so many other programs so far ahead of them that they'll never just be able to rely on this is Syracuse, this is what we've got, this is what we do. But I do think that the idea of playing early and getting guys on the field right away and having kind of that niche NFL group, if you can develop the defensive end, you'll always start to you'll start to see great defensive ends rise through the pipeline. If you develop and put out great quarterbacks, more quarterbacks are gonna want to come. Because the biggest thing for an eighteen, seventeen year old recruit and kid is they want but these kids want to go to the NFL. That's the dream. That's part of the reason they play. All the other stuff they, they say is, you know, it's 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 regular, it's small. These guys want to get to the NFL and if you can sell that and have proof of it, um I think that's that's a real big key. But for these guys in Syracuse, uh they're on the right track. We're starting to see it pay dividends a little bit with this Kingsley signing and the defensive ends. But for Syracuse it's always gonna be a matter of selling early playing time and kind of having that NFL pedigree at certain positions for to sell as well. Sure. A few more questions here. John Adair, I somehow missed German players being recruited by SU. When did all this happen? Great pickup. Well, it happened in the middle of the night, let me tell you, because I was awake. And, uh, yeah, that's that's what happened. You can go to Syracuse.com, read the story about Max Mang. Uh, I talked with him for probably 25 minutes today, and I messaged with Mark Petrie as well. S- story there. Um, but... Yeah, we, we kind of covered those guys already. Joe Coleman, any bad misses, any potential diamonds in the rough? Um, you know, we talked about Cade Foran. I mean, I guess it depends what you consider a bad miss. Like, that that hurts. I think that's really going to have uh, a short-term detrimental effect on Syracuse, not getting him. Um, I, I look back on the class, and I think anytime you lose out on a guy to a peer school, it's rough. There are a couple of losses to Pittsburgh that kind of stand out. Israel Abenaconda, a Brooklyn running back, really fast guy. Syracuse really wanted him. Went to Pitt. Deion Hayes, a versatile defensive lineman who Syracuse liked as well, went to Pitt. Um, you know, those are the ones that stand out the most to me. But you're always going to be on some guys. Um, to I guess as we've t- talked, basically talked about, the quarterback spot in general is, I think, what's going to hurt Syracuse the most. Any potential diamonds in the rough? I mean, <laughs> bottom quarter of the class, I guess. That's potentially – that's a, that's basically what Syracuse tries to do, you know. Uh, if I could go through this class and tell you, hey, like, this guy's actually really good. <laughs> I'm a media member, and I know he's really good. And that's why Syracuse was the only Power 5 school to offer him. I would. But, y- you know – the coaching staff is going to make its evaluations and try and bring in guys that, that they hope don't have these big-time offers, and, and maybe they will pan out. Look at Andre Sisco. You know, he's a guy who didn't have a ton of other options, especially early in his recruitment. Syracuse got on him, and, and frankly, he's one of the better defensive backs in the ACC, an absolute interception machine. So, you know, we'll see. Maybe one of those German guys is that next player. Uh, Leon Lowry, a defensive end from New Jersey, is a guy I think has a high ceiling. Um, but, it, you know, it's just, frankly, it's it's throwing darts. And uh, there's no one who I think is clearly missed out on by all the other college football coaches who have a way better eye for talent than me. And last one from our friend Kyle Nabawanek. If Bleich doesn't get the NCAA waiver, who do you see taking over Evan Adams' spot? If Syracuse is doing this right, not somebody who's on the roster right now. 
Um, I, I, while they think they do like Patrick Davis, I, I think they gotta go bring in somebody else to start. I, I think ideally you get a guard so you can keep the players in the same positions. Um, I don't necessarily have a name who I think they really want to go get, but there's there's going to be more and more players who go in the portal. Grad transfers are absolutely accessible in a situation like this. Junior college players as well, and I think more and more of those guys will come into the public eye as the post-signing day coaching shift kind of begins and, and players you know, see that they're not going to be playing somewhere <laughs> and uh, they decide to search, search out kind of greener pastures. Um, good question, and, and we'll be talking about that offensive line again. There's no doubt about it. Uh, thanks, as always, for the great questions, everybody. This was a fun early signing day. I cannot wait to go to sleep. Um, if you haven't, <laughs> Please go subscribe to us, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and if you'd like to purchase advertising, you can contact Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069. Thanks for listening.